Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today we speak with our 100th guest, Catherine Jackson Moynihan. Catherine is a true pioneer and expert in legal operations, and she's another great example of an allied professional driving change in the profession. Catherine currently is Senior Director of Strategic Intelligence and Advisory at Hyperion Research, an Epic company. After working in product management roles for several years, she had the opportunity to join the Association of Corporate Counsel, where she started and directed the legal operations section at a time when legal operations was not the established function that it is today. Among the numerous strategic initiatives Catherine undertook, one of her key accomplishments was developing the ACC Legal Operations Maturity Model, Toolkit, and Training. With mentorship from then-Vice President of the ACC and friend of the podcast, Susan Hackett, Catherine also led the ACC Value Challenge and its Value Champions Awards, a program with the goal of identifying and disseminating leading practices in the industry. Today, Catherine oversees Hyperion Research, EPIC's Legal Operations Market Intelligence Program, and she spearheads practical guidance and engagement opportunities for global legal executives advancing their legal transformation efforts. In our conversation, Catherine discusses how she wandered into the legal industry, the importance of data in EPIC's legal services management framework, training legal professionals on change management, and her research work. As always, we appreciate your time listening in on these conversations. Now, on to the next 100 guests. Thank you for listening. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good, Stephen. Nice to see you. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Uh, for, for listeners, we get a 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 countdown before we start. It's always a little off-putting, isn't it? It's, you feel like you're going to launch a rocket ship. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for joining us today, Catherine. You've had a fascinating journey. You're currently with Epic. But before we talk about your current role, you didn't start in the legal profession. You started in, after graduation from college, if I recall correctly, you're, you're a Wahoo. Yeah. Uh, Wahoo Wah. You, uh, you took a number of jobs in the uh, in the credit card industry. Right. Tell me a little bit about that part of your career. What did you do and what did you learn from that experience that has, has served you well in your as you moved over into the legal ops world? Hmm. It certainly has proven useful because what was relevant really about that work was not so much about credit cards as it was about product management at both of the big organizations in which I worked, American Express and Verizon. I played as a product management role that was an orchestrator of people, process, technology and data had some terrific opportunities. You know, at American Express, we were building models to predict behavior of our customers. So we would know, for example, who was at risk of um, a trading or who might need a credit line increase. Those are fairly simple, but we were doing that well before it became vogue when big data became a thing later on. And for the obvious reason that we were sitting on such a mountain of data. So whether it was working with the model building experts to figure out better ways to target our marketing efforts or with the service people to figure out better ways to you know provide services and answer questions and cross-sell other American Express products or Verizon products uh, later on. It was very much a useful 
area or sort of set of experiences for when I wandered into legal. And I truly did. I, I wasn't trying to get into legal. I knew somebody and uh, got recruited into work at the Association of Corporate Counsel because I had those business skills. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about that wandering in. I'll, we'll come back. To, <laughs> we'll come back to this part. You know, you look at your career and you're, you're you're moving up and you're advancing in the world of corporations and these big entities, and then you appear to take what's a left turn into the legal ops profession into the ACC, where I've got a whole bunch of questions about the work you did there. But flush out a little bit more how that happened. You said you wandered into it. How does one wander into the ACC? (laughs) You know, this is a classic tale of having taken a big detour into being a stay-at-home mom and then struggling a little bit to find a path back in. I had a marketing-centric background, and I took what was supposed to be just a brief time out to sell uh, the business that my father had owned and run until he died, and one thing led to another, and Suddenly it was eight, 10 years later with some, you know, part-time work along the way, trying to find a way back into full-time work. And somebody I I know, still a friend, but was a bleacher friend, right? Our kids were in the same (laughs) team, the same helmet sports. And uh, I let her know that I was looking. She knew of a need at ACC. This was when Susan Hackett, a great friend and mentor, was... Great um, friend of ours as well. Yeah, absolutely. We love Susan. Yes, exactly. She had, uh, the year before, of course, with the help of many others, launched the ACC Value Challenge to, uh, as the tagline read, reconnect the cost and value of legal services. And she was preparing to launch a service And uh, she was also general counsel of ACC. And so our mutual acquaintance, who was chief of staff at ACC, asked her to consider taking me on to help with the nuts and bolts of the ACC value challenge. And so I got just a consulting gig to start. We launched what you may even remember, Stephen, the ACC value index was the first sort of concrete service. I do remember. I remember talking to Susan and I can't remember... Who was the president of the ACC? Fred was he? Fred Krebs, yeah. Fred Krebs was in, at the at the outset, yeah, talking about that. Yeah. Well, you're putting me in the way back machine, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, you'll see, and we can get back to it. A few through lines. I've had fun and fun kind of thinking about this discussion about you know finding your path, and it is. One of the through lines on this was that the first thing I was doing was spearheading launching a scorecarding service, right? So the the concept there was to invite the ACC members in-house counsel to score their law firms based on a set of criteria that were very specifically chosen to convey what value should be. You shouldn't just be hiring the lawyer for his or her expertise, but rather the law firm for more than just the expertise, right? The ability to really hew to the client's objectives, to really not just sort of take the work and run off and do what you're going to do, but make sure you really understand objectives and expectations. Also, responsiveness and communications, working efficiently, budgeting effectively was one of the scoring um, features. I remember, yes. Yep. 
and also results delivered. And Seifarth was keenly interested in this because Seifarth, as a pioneering law firm, was interested in using client evaluations of your law firms as an additional way of evaluating their effectiveness, getting away from the billable hour, right, being the central mechanism to evaluate your counsel. I'm oversimplifying it hugely, I'm sure. But it was certainly an interesting place to start. And I can pause there if you have questions, or I can carry on with... Um, well, I, I'm always happy to have a guest carry on, but I do. <laughs> Let's flesh this out a little bit more, because for many of our listeners, who many of whom have come later in the journey than you and I, we're talking about sort of the 08, 09, 2010, 2011 period. And what, what you're describing is sort of standard stuff now, but it wasn't then. No. So talk a little bit about some of the change resistance management you had to go through, because I, I recall it was not as it was not as simple as you're making it sound. No. And look, we had to sunset it. We were trying to do two things. One is, is make a point, as I've already said, where we were conveying what the standards should be for evaluating the value of a law firm. And I say that term advisedly. We did sort of structure it at the law firm level, Susan, and we had a, you know, the value challenge had a steering committee of, you know, in-house counsel, general counsel who were keen to help us with this whole entire program, the value challenge. But one of the embedded points there is that we should be hiring the law firm and then holding the law firm accountable for effective and efficient delivery of legal services. And it was specifically meant to counter the I hire the lawyer, not the law firm mentality, which fails to hold the law firm accountable. And that's been a big struggle all along. The value challenge in general, I think, was trying in many ways to convince in-house counsel to exercise their power as buyers of legal services, a surprisingly difficult challenge that remains today. Surprising is the, is the right word. I've never quite mm-hmm. understood why that's so difficult for buyers to understand their power. And this this was you were, I'm sure you had inter- in your prior roles, given the complexity of the roles you'd held previously, you, you'd had the pleasure of dealing with lawyers, but this was your first legal inside the tent role. Yes. What what surprised you about working with lawyers and the challenges that professionals face? You, you described one of them, getting buyers to understand their power. Uh, yeah. The other, and that just, it, it may not be the best choice of what to say next, Steve, but it is what just came into my mind. The, how shall I say, parochialism isn't quite the right word, but there is a notion of lawyer superiority that surprised me a little bit. I used to have people say to me, oh, we thought you were a lawyer, you know, as if I should be complimented because even though I had a Columbia MBA, I thought I was perfectly well credentialed. I would realize after the fact that people didn't consider non-lawyers to be peers professionally. And it manifested itself in many ways. I mean, another thing that has changed considerably that sort of an artifact of the past is that when I would try to find people at law firms who were doing great stuff to improve the value of legal services, they would not be listed on the law firm's list of professionals because they were not lawyers. So it could be hard to find people who were 
extremely highly credentialed, effective professionals doing very important work for the law firms. So that was another thing that had surprised me. I had not sort of seen that through my interaction with lawyers at American Express and Verizon. And then I was sort of a member of the club and and, um, it was a club that was more, um, I don't know, clickish in in one way than I than I had realized. Definitely. And, you know, as part of that was the other piece is, you know, that the change management is difficult. I think it is difficult for ways that are understandable, a desire to know what has been done before. And that can certainly be a big impediment. So the amount of work that had to be done on the change management front, and in particular, to the extent that we talk more about what came next and what came after that, it increasingly was about trying to find examples to convince people, yes, you can do this too, right? It it became sort of my personal obsession is to find those case studies and hold up those examples as a means to spread these alternative ways of managing legal services to obtain more value. Yeah, you know, that that, that case study point, the precedent is important with lawyers, isn't it? Because they're low-risk taking class of, of people, which is a general proposition. And so knowing it's been done before and people have had success gives a certain level of comfort and increases their willingness to take a chance. Yep. Yep. The other thing you were, you were sort of there at the beginning of the legal ops build, particularly at the ACC, you, you sort of got that initiative started and it's now ballooned into one of, to my view, the legal ops profession is one of the most important change drivers in the industry these days. Talk a little bit about the genesis of that and how you got into that and move that forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It definitely was as entrepreneurship often is a, a function of seeing a need and then being will, willing to spearhead the process that came of it. But also the other piece is the engagement with as this podcast is aptly named Pioneers and Pathfinders. So we talked about the value index. I won't go into it at length, but another thing we did under the umbrella of the value challenge is launch a a workshop series called Legal Services Management. Amusingly, you know, Susan had said, I want you to develop a masterclass on legal service management. And I had just, as we just discussed, wandered into legal and I had no idea how to teach a masterclass <laughs> on legal service management. Well, no, how do I do that, Susan? Nobody, well, nobody else did either. <laughs> you go and gather up people who are already doing this, the pioneers and pathfinders, and get them to help you figure out how to teach it. And so very early on in my time in legal, I was connecting with people who were already focused a lot on what is now known as legal operations, both in law firms, by the way, and legal departments. So, you know, gathered up people who were pioneering use of value-based fees and project management and process improvement, which were the three pillars of the curriculum for this workshop, included Lisa Damon with Cyfarth, Pat Lamb, Valorum, some in-house counsel, including Jeff Carr uh, and Ken Grady. So some names that that you know well and I'm probably have already interviewed for this podcast because the people who were out there figuring out largely on their own how to do it. But when, when we said to them, hey, could you please come help us figure out how to teach this? They did. We flew in and whiteboarded what became a very experiential learning two-day workshop, very experiential learning-oriented, sticky notes up on the walls to map out processes using reality-based cases, 
about, you know, GCs needing to save money and figuring out how to do it through combination of tactics. And those workshops attracted, of course, the next wave of pioneers for their organizations, people who are keen to figure out a better way to manage legal services for their organizations. And so getting to know them was instrumental. We also started the Value Champions program, which was to my earlier point about needing more examples. I thought when it was first suggested to me that the last thing the legal industry needed was another award program. But this one, I think, was extremely effective in eliciting those stories. We asked for three metrics, improvements in spend, cutting spend, improving predictability of spend, that budgeting piece, and improving outcomes, which could be legal or process outcomes. And so the stories came out of the woodwork. And with them came the people driving them, which were often, and they weren't even known often as such, legal ops people. They could be lawyers who were the ops-minded lawyers, or they could be other professionals who were driving a lot of the activities that led to these audacious outcomes that would you know, win you an ACC Value Champion Award. ACC was also hosting roundtables in various major markets in the U.S. for legal ops professionals, just knowledge sharing, learning from each other. And it was at the behest of a few of those roundtable leaders that we stood up ACC Legal Ops. They, in many cases, once we'd hosted a few roundtables in California, Chicago, New York, the people doing legal ops would then just carry on in between, right? Have monthly meetings, not the sort of two, three times a year roundtables that we were hosting. So there were these well-established groups in a few major markets, and they wanted a larger network. They wanted to be more interconnected. And I literally got cornered in a bar um, <laughs> when we were when we were having a, a gathering of legal ops people saying, look, we think that there should be effectively, and it wasn't in the end this, but a subsidiary of ACC, something under the ACC umbrella with that scaffolding around it and staffing, of course, to help us run a much larger interconnected network of legal ops professionals around the globe. So that's how it started. And the growth of that has been sort of amazing. Yeah. Did the growth surprise you, particularly the velocity of it? It was our first conference. It was truly a case of, as the saying goes, people coming out of the woodwork in that there were people who were hearing about this and acknowledging that they didn't know that what they were doing had a name, that it's a thing. It was, in truth, propelled by CLOCK becoming its own independent association not long after. And CLOCK had the sort of luxury of being able to promote only itself, if you will, only the legal ops consortium. And whereas within ACC, there were many things that ACC was doing, including the legal ops piece. But CLOCK became a huge platform, a huge beacon that was very successful on the PR front. And I think really helped not only pull people out of the woodwork, but of course, propel the function. Many general counsel caught on to the logic, the sort of intuitive appeal of hiring somebody 
to really optimize how people process and technology. Later, you know, that was the PPT that we always, people process technology. It's interesting to note that only later did we add the D. I remember being the person that was always saying, and data, when they would say the three pillars, I'd say, oh, there's a fourth one, it's data. And of course, that's where I came from, right? Using data to to drive decisions. But it was also not what legal ops professionals were doing, i.e. paying attention to the data for a long time because they just weren't in a position to do it. They might have had e-billing data. It was probably largely sort of not in good shape. And we're in an interesting point now where the ability to harness data to get the right information, the right hands at the right time has become a huge area of focus in that function. Right. Last question on the ACC before we turn to your role at Epic. You're talking about the progression of the legal ops function, which that's my part of my lived experience as well. But part of what you created was legal operations maturity model. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was that intended to do? <laughs> it like many stories of if entrepreneurship, I should say, it was intended to do something far more modest than what it ended up doing. Maturity models, of course, have been around for a while, and we had one that we were using from the get-go that did, um, I think it was only a four-box matrix, but, you know, that dealing with people, processes, and, and technology, and what your state might be with regard to just those three elements. And one of the things we did as part of ACC Legal Operations is launch a boot camp. Because so many People were the first incumbents in their organizations, the people setting up legal operations in um, legal departments that had never had a legal ops function or professional before. We created a half-day boot camp. It was very much of an ensemble faculty kind of situation, like those earlier workshops that I had done, in that we literally found people within the membership who had stood up legal ops in more than one company before and asked them to help teach others how to do it. And in the first or second go round with that, the person who was chairing it said, this maturity model is too dinky for what it is that we're trying to teach. We need a better maturity model. Why don't we focus on that first and use that as the structure to teach people the functions? And so it was very much crowdsourced. Uh, the people who were the faculty for that boot camp. We used, you know, a Google Sheets. We figured out what the functions should be. There were 14 sub-functions. Think about that, how broad that role is, that we identified 14 different areas that people could be, you know, trying to move from early to intermediate to advanced stages of maturity for the benefit of the functioning of the entire legal department. And um, all we did really, for starters, is describe what early, intermediate, and advanced stages look like. And when we released it, the first aha was, ah, yeah, this is so helpful just in and of itself for people to be able to have it outlined for them, what advance looks like, so they can envision what it is they're aiming for. So the uptake on just the model itself was huge. But the other thing that we wanted to do with it and did is create a toolkit to assist people in doing this. So it ended up being used. I don't want to go on too long, but it was an incredibly rewarding professional experience to collaborate with all these people to create the model itself. To create the toolkit that was designed, it was, you know, we used to joke about shovel ready. This will give you, you know, some context about the timing of it, but not PDFs that you can read about how to do it, but rather spreadsheets, 
that you can download and, and begin to customize for your organization for your project planning purposes or, you know, word templates for your change management program around the initiatives that you're running. So we discovered that while it was incredibly useful for that boot camp, legal departments were using it to assess their own maturity and align on their priorities. What is it that they're going to go after? And then they would use the tools within it to actually begin to affect those changes, to get started in trying to advance from early to intermediate. So, and then we ended up doing the 2.0 because of course, advanced kept getting more advanced. For that one, we added, you'll have to stop me, Steve, because I could go on and on. We added an innovation management function. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, that, that, that'll be a subject <laughs> of the next time you're on the podcast. Yes. Right. Uh, so you were, you were at the ACC for oh, a dozen years or so doing these incredible things. And for the last 18 months, you left the ACC. And for the last 18 months, you've been with Epic as Senior Director of Strategic Intelligence and Advisory. Talk to us about what Epic's role is, what its mission is, and what you do as a Senior Director. Will do. So my focus is on strategic intelligence, which probably begs a little bit of explanation, but I do. <laughs> right. um, okay, that's fine. Tell us I what do, Ben, you, you were trying to, you were being polite, but um, it, it, is, it is doing research around legal operations to provide benchmarking data. And also the research includes very concrete close-up research on legal technology. So more broadly on different aspects of legal operations or IP operations, but then in different categories, we do very detailed examination of different technology markets. We're recently issued a market view report, as we call it, on IP management solutions. So the systems to help you really have a very cohesive IP operations program that includes both the all the different offices, but also the external counsel. There's another coming out soon on contract management systems, both CLMs and contract analytics. And the current... So let me let me stop you. So if I'm in-house and my, I begin the task of fixing the contract management system and CLMs are all the rage right now, and there's lots of them, I would come to you guys and say, okay, help me sort through and you would benchmark the various options that are out there as well as I presume the internal steps I would need to go through to make the right decision and implement. Yeah. The reports that we issue are a part of the equation. The briefings with the analysts are also super important. So the reports involve, of course, a deep examination. We get briefings directly with the solutions providers, the different vendors on what features it has, what it, you know, we get to see it demoed, we examine the tech stack, we get all kinds of facts about it, put it in the report. The analysts for these reports are also consultants. And so when you're getting one of the reports, you're getting information about what the key solution components you might want to consider for your requirements, which are the, of course, absolutely vital starting place because people can get dazzled. You know, oh, we need a CLM. Let's just go get a bunch of briefings or demos on CLMs. And then everyone in your department who's exposed to this becomes omnivorous. They want it all. You can end up buying the Death Star when you need an X-Wing fighter. And so we do provide information about the different solutions, but also the perspective. You get the briefings with the consultants who not only have participated in these studies, but also do consulting work for other clients around selection and implementation or optimization. I mean, a lot of our consulting work 
is about helping legal departments actually better utilize the technology that they have. It is, of course, well-known and somewhat axiomatic that, of course, most of us can use Excel, but we're using, what, 2% of its capability? And that is true, of course, all the way. That's if you're a power user. Right. So, yeah, you're getting this market intelligence and access to the consultants who can advise you about what might be a best fit solution. But to get back to your larger question about sort of what Epic is doing and, and what I'm involved in helping with, Epic is known by many, of course, as a company that has for a long time been providing e-discovery and um, business solutions um, and is very, very good and well-known for that. But um, for the last few years, Epic has also been building more strategic legal transformation services. And we have, and it's funny how the, the name echoes the name of those workshops I used to run, we've developed a legal service management model that we're applying as we build out the services and address the needs of legal departments. And it actually puts data right in the middle, legal intelligence, and then the people process and technology around it. So it's an interesting sort of reflection and and sign of the times that, you know, not that long ago, I kept having to point out that really legal operations is and should be addressing people, process, technology, and data. Now data is in the middle. And we provide, for example, um, services around that where on behalf of legal departments, we will take their various feeds because, of course, many legal departments struggle now with having too much data from too many different places, all their different point solutions. Um, They've gone from having no data to having dirty data to having a plethora of data and not really knowing so much how to use it effectively. And we build bespoke dashboards to help legal departments be more effective in telling the story about the effectiveness of their work and getting the right information into the right hands to make those decisions for performance management. And including, of course, things like law firm (laughs) management. Um, So so that's a piece of it. But we're also building out the consulting and managed services for all those different sort of facets of legal department work. So on a, on a total level, but also to address the needs of different practice areas, whether it's your contracting and M&A or your IP practice, we have data-driven consulting and managed services to help you be more effective in transforming you know, those functions or those practices. And that's what I'm helping do. That sounds fantastic. We're sort of at our time, but one last question on the data piece. Bring you back full circle. You talked about at the very beginning in American Express and your other original business opportunities, these rudimentary use of data. Was that where you first sort of began to see the power of data and the analytics of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were, they were very simple by today's standards, but we were building predictive models and they worked incredibly well to improve our targeting so that we weren't misplacing our messages to our customers, our members in that case. And it is interesting to see how far things have come now as the whole big data movement has, you know, sort of affected the legal department and some of the more sophisticated legal departments. You now have data scientists. So we talked a little bit about that sort of lawyer-centric world that I entered, you know, in 09. Now legal departments have a lower percentage of lawyers to other, other professionals, and it includes specialists in contracting or IP ops or in now data science. And of course, you're never going to need that many of them, but um, it does 
reflect well the growing understanding of the ability to harness data and only to sort of make sure you are, you know, like turning around the contracts fast enough, a very, very, very vital function, but also really um, moving toward harnessing data to make better decisions about legal strategies, uh, for example. And all of that is not easy yet because the ability to benchmark effectively is still a huge work in progress in order to do that. But we do have people, of course, organizing the data, helping tell the story, making sure it's useful now. And those predictive analytics are here and there, but I think will continue to spread. Yeah. You know, Catherine, it's, uh, again, I, I know we're out of time, so I, I don't want to impose any more on your time, but it's fascinating to sort of have a chance to chat with someone who has been a true pioneer in this field. And we often, I think, spend time talking about how far the profession has to go to hit where we think it can be. But we oftentimes in doing that forget the change and, and how far it has come. And your last description of the use of data and data scientists and the acceptance of that in the legal departments and law firms is a reminder of that. Yeah. And if I may just add to, because it certainly sort of jumped out at me when I was, you know, using my walking around time to think about this discussion, is just to underscore it that everything that each of us who are deemed pioneers is doing, where we end up being helped by somebody who's already pioneering in that area. So, you know, we can be proud of what we've accomplished in any given area and yet really need to turn to somebody else when you're tackling the next big challenge in this broad remit of improving legal operations, whether you're a legal ops professional or a GC who just is, you know, entirely, not entirely, but largely focused on this. It is, I think, of interest that we can leverage off of each other so much because that makes it easier for all of us to succeed. It does. The community is surprisingly collaborative. Mm -hmm. Uh, for For a competitive industry, people are very willing to help and share and and, and build on each other's success. It's it, it's a gratifying part of the industry. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. <laughs>